My name is Jane Kratz and I'm a biblical counsellor working at a young, dynamic and multicultural church in Johannesburg, South Africa. I am also the co-chair for Biblical Counselling Africa. I am responsible for the soul care ministry at Hope Church, providing care and counselling for people in our congregation and more importantly equipping and training others to be involved in Biblical Counselling. The Biblical Counselling Coalition do an amazing job of collaborating with people, ministries and parachurch organisations from all over the world to strengthen the work that they do in counselling faithfully and with excellence from the Bible. By supporting the Biblical Counselling Coalition, you get to be a part not only of making their mission, vision and passion a reality, but also for the ministries that they partner with and serve. As someone who is working in a country where biblical counselling is still in its infancy, I am so thankful for the monthly e-source I receive in my inbox, as well as for the access I have to all sorts of other free resources, podcasts and book reviews, which I can access and use in my ministry, but also share with the people that I am caring for. You will receive far more than you give by partnering with the Biblical Counselling Coalition, so please do consider giving to them. You're listening to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to 1514. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Today I have with me uh, Rick Horn, who is an author of a couple books that we are going to be talking about today. They have great titles, Get Out of My Face and Get Off of My Case. And he is also serves in various ministry capacities, which I will let him tell you about in just a moment. But I want to encourage you, if you're not a BCC partner, to jump on the website of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, find out what benefits there are for different levels of partnership and become a partner today. The, that partnership is really for counselors, counseling ministries, and churches that do biblical counseling. There's great benefits to you, as well as you are supporting the wonderful ministry of unifying the biblical counseling movement through relationships that we foster as the Biblical Counseling Coalition. So, Rick Horn, thanks so much for being with me today. Uh, Pleasure. Could, could you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself than what I did? Well, I've been married 51 years. Um, We have uh, six kids and 18 grandkids. Uh, Been involved uh, in ministry, I guess, uh, ever since uh, graduating from, well, even before graduating from seminary, um, from Reformed Episcopal Seminary in Philadelphia. Um, And uh, mostly for for about 40 years with Christian school ministry. And um, that gave me a lot of the exposure that I had with uh, to, to teenagers to begin with, and and um, and then in some additional ministries when the when the Christian school, the last Christian school that I was part of, decided it didn't need me any longer, uh, <laughs> then uh, I had already been involved with a, another ministry having to do with urban church uh, leaders and teaching them, and and that's evolved as well into a, a, another ministry that has given me some opportunity to work internationally with untrained people and uh, training leaders. So, so it's been a, 
uh, it's been a lot of uh, um, a lot of teaching and um, uh, with uh, particularly in these last seven or eight years with uh, people that have um, uh, very few resources and access mm. to resources in our inner cities. Uh, it's called the Urban Ministry Institute and Oakseed Ministries is what's taken me overseas to uh, mid-Africa uh, countries and in training and doing some work among um, indigenous ministries there. No, that's great. Yeah, I've I've had a few friends who worked with Tumi uh, that you mentioned. Before, the that's the acronym there for the yes. urban ministry that you were in, involved with, and I think it's a great thing. And maybe we should yeah. do another podcast. So you could talk about that sometime. That is, I can talk about that a lot. That's uh, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> but I I wanted to talk to you today about your books, uh, especially. I know sometimes we get authors on whose books are brand new, but you've written these a while ago. But I just really personally have been blessed by your your writing and have used uh, your books in my counseling for years, and I want more people to be aware of them, so I wanted to share a little bit about them. Could you, uh, you wrote, as I mentioned before, Get Out of My Face and Get Off of My Case, which probably gives a little bit of a hint of who we're, what we're talking about when in those books, but could you tell everybody a little bit about how you came to write these books? What was the catalyst for them? Sure, sure. Well, the first book, uh, Get Out of My Face, was uh, that, I guess, in, in some ways, that, uh, that goes back to uh, uh, the beginnings of some of my training in, in uh, school counseling uh, at, at, a, at a non-Christian university nearby. Uh, and um, they, were, they had introduced me to what was called solutions-focused counseling, which I'm sure mm-hmm. you're familiar with yeah. or you've heard. And and uh, I was impressed because uh, I was working in a Christian school. I was I'd had training at CCEF and biblical counseling training. I've done uh, done some counseling with them and uh, and and that kind of thing. And I loved that model. Um, and and yet, uh, working with teenagers, number one, there's it's not like teenagers are going to sign up to come in one hour a week for eight weeks or ten weeks or twenty weeks or whatever it might be. They they pop in and they pop out. And mm. uh, um, there's a uh, there's a question is how how do I address these people? And, uh, and 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 in many cases, they're kids that have a Christian background but have no interest in spiritual things. Mm. And um, maybe they've had it up to here, you know, as far as spiritual matters are concerned. So how how do I deal with these people? Well, the solutions-focused people uh, tripped on tri- tripped my thinking into some, some questions. How is it that they're receiving uh, responses that seem to be going in some positive directions with these kids? Um, how's this happening? What's the Bible say about this? Uh, how do I think about this? I've had Bible college and seminary under my belt and even some some of the D-men matters that I had at Westminster. But how how do how do I understand these solutions pieces? Well, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs has always been part of my spiritual diet. Mm-hmm. And somebody way back when I was in Bible college suggested, since there are 31 chapters, I should read, follow the date and, and, and stay with it. And I did that. I started that way back when I was in Bible college. So the book of Proverbs begins to come to my mind and thinking about uh, uh, solutions, because the book of Proverbs, uh, I started going through the book of Proverbs, and I, I noticed that there were over 700 what I call negative and also positive temporal consequences. Hmm. that are identified in the book of Proverbs. 
They Obviously, the foundation is the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, but it's not repeated over and over again. I mean, throughout, it's assumed. Um, but then there are also a lot of people in the book of Proverbs that are addressed with these consequences that clearly don't have any motivation that's spiritual. And so I began thinking, uh, I wonder if this has something to do with if consequences and young people and the way they think, uh, because there are over 250 references in the book of Proverbs to prudence, uh, to understanding, to judgment, to uh, discernment, all thinking kinds of categories. And so there's a uh, there's an assumption that young people can think, young adults, because the book is written to young adults. Yeah. They can think, mm -hmm. which means they can make decisions. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, and the book of Proverbs is talking about consequences and results of decisions over and over again, maybe there's something ab this, about this that needs to be uh, brought to the forefront of of a conversation with, with angry kids, with kids that really... Uh, see the problem, uh, but usually think everybody else is the problem. Yeah. And, uh, and, and maybe there's a way of using this to bring the, con the, the, the idea that consequences really are the result of your choices. Mm -hmm. um, and not, to, not in any way to put out spiritual matters or to, to ignore the, the wisdom of God or driving kids to Christ or the heart matters that we, we, we all believe are really the, the spawning ground for decision making. But that's not where you can begin. With, you, you start with an angry teen by saying, well, let me tell you what the Bible says. <laughs> or what do you think the scriptures say? Or uh, is that really respectful the way the scriptures want you to be respectful? Uh, you start that and you've lost kids. You're just like every other, any, any other adult who's preached at them. Yeah. And they've had, like I said, up to here. So that's kind of the, the genesis or the beginnings of, of my thinking about how, how to develop a, an approach to working with angry kids. Paul Tripp made a statement with one time when I was talking to Paul. Uh, he, he was... I wasn't asking him for a compliment, whatever, but he, he said, you know, one of the things I like about your books, he said, all of the rest of us that work with parenting and that teach about parenting, we're dealing with the normals. Hmm. We're dealing with kids and families that have the, the regular battles, the regular challenges, but the hard to deal with kids, you go right at them. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, that is, that was kind of, I took that as a kind of a compliment and, and I appreciated his observation because that's what this really tries to do. Yeah. And it does, it does a great job of really helping like you, it, it exemplifies what the Proverbs talk about as the heart of a man is a deep well and a, a man of wisdom draws it out. And you really yes. took a lot of principles from the Proverbs to help us learn how to do that well, specifically, like you said, with angry teens, with teens who don't want to talk. Um, yeah. And uh, one of my mentors, Stuart Scott, uh, he, he had a phrase that I loved that said, accusations build walls and questions prick the conscience. And mm -hmm. I th the way that you structure the book, which we'll get into in a minute, and I think the what you just described is if you come to a teen, even the questions, the way we phrase them sometimes can be actually accusations and not really questions. Or an, an interrogation. That yeah. seem to be an interrogation. Yeah. And, and that immediately builds that wall and, and shuts down the conversation. So, so the first book, um, we're, which we're going to talk mostly about, and we'll talk about the second sure. book a little bit, is, is broken down to three main sections. Could you briefly give, give the audience an overview of those? Well, yeah, the, the first the first section is 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 really just 
positioning us um, for uh, positioning us for for addressing the team and uh, for the conversation and and uh, things that we need to things that we need to be conceptually alert to and aware of and um, uh, in in terms of our goals and our motives mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and things about the teen themselves that that young people are young adults by the biblical term uh, mm-hmm. in terms of what the scriptures say the, the Hebrew word naar had reference Bruce Waltke said had reference to kids between from puberty to about age 30 mm-hmm. which explains why Jesus didn't begin his ministry till about age 30 because he was only then considered to be a full adult up until that point you're a young adult and um, uh, so so the first part of the book begins to establish a sense of identity for the for the parent who are you and a sense of identity for the for the student himself, and um, and in the parent's mind that this is a person who can think. This is a person who's who is to be respected, mm-hmm. and uh, because of his young adult nature, and you're going to respect him, and he's going to sound that he's going to think that sounds really great yeah. until you begin to unpack what respect means, <laughs> and and uh, that you're taking his decisions very seriously, and you're going to hold him accountable for those. And then, but then he begins to have second thoughts about whether he wants to be respected or not. But, <laughs> but that's, but that's nevertheless one of the the things that the the young person typically wants. So that's the the first part of the book, really gets into uh, concepts to, that understand to understand for connecting with the teen himself. Uh, the fact that a young person has what I call wise wants, and and uh, we can talk about that a little bit later on as well. But uh, and those are built into uh, every young person by creation, by being in the image of God. It's God's common grace uh, that there are certain things in every one of us that typically we want that are good. Uh, mm-hmm. They're all contaminated, but they're but they're nevertheless they're the the root of the matter is by creation there, and it can be appealed to. And I believe the Book of Proverbs assumes those wants in almost every verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why they that's why they make sense. Um, the second part of the book is is really the meat of the book, which is the strategy of of communicating or beginning a conversation with an angry teen, or and it could be any teen. It doesn't have to even be an angry teen, but and it can be an adult, mm-hmm. and it can even be children that are younger. The core, the the key can the key question is, can the, the young person make a connection between his choices and outcomes? Yep. If they can think in that regard. Even a young child can be appealed to in some of these ways, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, but generally speaking, for for young adults, uh, and that's I use the acronym LCLP, and uh, uh, it's just um, the four four features of the of the communication process or of the process that the young that the counselor can go through with a young person, um, uh, listening big. Uh, clarifying narrow, looking wide for solutions, and then planning small. Uh, you you want to have there might be a thousand things that the parents want to see changed. You can't <laughs> deal with a thousand things. You got to you got to deal with a couple, and yep. you, so you plan small. And like dominoes, by the grace of God, at least in some cases that I've had the opportunity to see, when when the dominoes begin to fall, many other when some changes begin to be made, and the kids begin to see and sense change uh, that's taking place and they're beginning to get what they want wisely um, they begin to it kept in the you know 
they begin to catch the message and begin to make other changes too. And, and then the third part of the book is just how to keep the change going. And, and also, um, it, the, the third part of the book is, is brings back to where we started in the very beginning, the, the recognition that if there's going to be real change, that's going to be lasting, it has to become, it has to come from the heart. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 Wisdom of using the bridge that has been built to, to using the, the bridge of communication. Um, if, if a rapport has been established, and it can be fairly easily with this process, uh, then the counselor has the opportunity to bring the gospel to bear. Mm-hmm. And up, up until that point, you start talking about the gospel and you lose them. But if they begin to trust you because they see change that's taking place, and this does have a rapid kind of a change that can be produced, again, because choices have consequences. So if they make different choices and they begin to taste the fact that some something else is coming along, um, they may begin to make more choices. And that gives an entree to say, do you know why this works? It's because this is the way God has designed life. And the gospel makes these things start from the inside out. A relationship with Christ makes it more than just so many things that you're doing, but it's a relationship that the Holy Spirit prods you to, to do, to, to act and live wisely. And, um, and so uh, there's that opportunity for the gospel that may not have been there at all uh, because of the turnoff nature of maybe the experiences that they've had, that kind of thing, the way they've interpreted things. Yeah. yeah Does that make a- sense? Absolutely, absolutely makes sense. And and you you we talked a little bit beforehand that the second book really emphasizes even more the gospel and how you can how you can hold uh, people accountable with gospel principles and and parents. And and one of the things I love about the book too is it's not definitely helpful for parents, but you're coming at it as a as a school counselor, a teacher. So anybody who interacts with is involved with does ministry with teens will will greatly be benefited uh, mm. by these books. Um, the I want to have you break down a little bit those that LCLP what you mean by those. So what what do you mean when you say li- listen big? What does that mean? It means that feature or connection with a young person is critical to any, any, anything that's going to follow. And, and it means I need to listen until I get signals from the young person that I understand his situation the way he understands his situation. It's not important. It's not sufficient for me to say, well, I understand. In fact, that's language you ought never to use with a teenager in my judgment. Because as soon as you say, well, I understand, they'll say, you don't understand anything. If they're an angry teen, say, who do you think you are? You don't understand me. You don't know me. Yeah. Okay. But without using that, using that language, uh, if we reflect back to the kids that something of the meaning, something of the feelings that they're having, if we express that back to the young people, uh, interpretations of 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 the way they're seeing it and put it in their language, uh, you really, you're really upset with your mom and dad. Uh, they are really being unfair to you. You really think that, and, and you can make these statements and it's not that you're agreeing with the, the student, right. but what you're doing is you're identifying with his feelings and his experiences. And what I've, what I've seen, uh, there's almost always 
some kind of body language change. You, you made reference to the kid that put his head down on the desk when it started on the table yeah, when he yeah. came in to work out, a really angry kid. Well, I've, I've had kids that come in and they just stare at the wall or, you know, they're, they, they won't make eye contact. But when they begin to sense that you understand their situation the way they understand their situation, something changes. Their posture changes. Their eye contact changes. Something changes. And from that point on, you can move to the next next features of the process of of trying to help them. But a counselor, in my judgment, working with youth that tries to go ahead with, with clarifying what the students want or or looking for solutions or trying to use the scripture before there's a connection is probably going to end up in a dead end in some significant ways. The key thing about listening big is you want to listen for what the student does not want, Hmm. what he doesn't want. And he doesn't want restriction. He doesn't want to be treated like a child. I mean, there's only a limited number of those categories, really, when you when it comes down. He doesn't he doesn't want to be told everything to do. He doesn't want to be told anything to do. He doesn't want <laughs> limits as to when he can come in, when he what what he can listen to, who his friends can be, uh, how long he can be out. Uh, he doesn't want a lot of things. What he can watch on, you know, he doesn't want controls over what he can watch and what he can do with his phone and how many hours he can be on his phone. Um, uh, so you you want to try to identify what the young person doesn't want. That's and, that's listening big. Yeah, and you're really getting instead of saying I understand, what you want to get it to the point is where they think this guy gets me. Where they right. they come to the conclusion this person understands, exactly rather right. than you just say, <laughs> rather than you just saying it. That's right. that's good. Um, and and obviously there's the book fleshes out a little bit more how to do that. But the next right. the next thing was clarify narrow. Uh, yes. What what does that mean? And how do you help people do that? Well, if listening big helps you to understand what the the young person doesn't want, clarifying narrow helps you to understand what he does want. Hmm. What does he want? What um, you want? You want to be respected. Uh, You want the freedom to make decisions. You want to be treated like a young adult, not like a child. You want freedom. Um, Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I want these things. Okay, so all of those are. All of those are what I call wise wants. Mm-hmm. They're, they're built into us. There's nothing wrong with wanting those things. Now, the problem is the way they want, the way they are going about to get them actually undermines everything that they really are trying mm-hmm. to do. So what I'm going to be trying to do is to show him what he's doing is undermining the very things that he wisely wants. Mm-hmm. But I need to, first of all, find out what is it. So you, this is what you really want. And eventually, you know, it is what you're doing getting getting that for you. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, that's where where we're starting to look for solutions uh, in different places. And that's the, thir- the the third feature was looking widely. And what we're doing is looking for places where the the student was actually getting the very things that he was getting. How was he living when he was getting them? Hmm. Um, I use the illustration. I'm sorry. I use the illustration of uh, I think in the book. I don't know if it's this one or the second one, but of the of the wrestling match that the the father and the son had, um, 
And uh, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, it is in this. I think it is in this I think one. It is yeah, in the first one. And they ended up on the floor. It was in provid- providentially. He called me the morning I was planning to meet with the student, not knowing anything about that. But I was planning to meet with him because his grades were weak and, and really poor. He was doing poorly in some subject areas. And, and as a school counselor, I was going to try and follow up with him. Uh, but his dad called in the morning and said, could, could you meet with my son? Because we're not getting along. We're having some problems. In fact, last night was terrible. We ended up in a wrestling match on the floor. And, um, and it was it just really terrible. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I was planning to meet with him today, but not about that, but about his grades. And then I said to his dad, can you give me permission to make reference to the wrestling match on the floor? He said, well, you can, but he's not going to like you, you know, like the fact that I gave you information like this. I said, oh, that's okay. I can handle that. And uh, so he came in and we got talking. And one of the things that uh, it became clear after we talked about the grades and the studies and so forth um, I, I made reference. I said, can I bring something else up? He said, oh, yeah, what? And he, I said, well, uh, your dad called me this morning and he rolled his eyes and he said, oh, yeah, I'll bet. And so I said, he said, your dad said things got pretty rough last night. Yeah, that's right. And and uh, do you like it that way? No, I don't like it that way at all. I, he said, uh, it used to be we used to really have good times together. And and that's not like that anymore. And I said, tell me about a time when it was like that. And so he pointed the last summer and he was talking about how respond. And I said, well, what led to those good relationships, to that trust that he had in you? Well, I was coming in on time and I was doing the work that I was supposed to do. And, and you know, the next question is, I wonder what would happen if you did that again, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. uh uh, well, you know what? That's, that's kind of rocket science, isn't it? It's, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, it was really in, providentially the next night we had a school a parent teacher kind of a gathering. And um, the, his dad came up to me and said, I don't know what you said, but this was re- revolutionary. He, he, he's a new guy. What and it wasn't. And I had to say, well, you know, I'm not taking credit for this. It's this is whatever whatever the Lord's doing. But he caught the concept that my freedom and my privileges that had been restricted had been taken away by his dad for the irresponsible behavior and the anger and other those privileges. Those privileges began to be restored because he was functioning in a truthful, respectful way. Yeah. And um, and so his his son, his son wanted those privileges back and he was functioning in that kind of a way. And his dad thought I was a miracle worker. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and Which, that's that's the beauty of it is the book of Proverbs is, has is an example of God's wisdom lived out. So, and it's it's not yeah. the Proverbs aren't always guarantees and promises like if you do this, then this will always happen. But the general principle, because we have a God who created and ordained the the world to work in certain ways, is that if you, generally speaking, if you follow these principles, things will go right for you. And that's why the first commandment with a promise to kids, you know, honor your mother and father, and it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. You know, it's like, so yeah, helping, helping them begin to see that in Proverbs does that all over the place. And I love the way you phrase that wise wants. It does tap into the Imago Dei, the image of God that is in all of us. Yeah. That he has created us with the with the law of God on our hearts, obviously tainted every aspect of, of life tainted by sin. Um, yes. but still the root of it is there and helping them begin to point to that. That's it was just 
yeah, it's a very helpful way to do that. And you, you talked a little bit about what that looks like to look wide. Now, what do, what do you mean by playing small, the, the P and the LCLP? Yeah, well, you can, you know, some parents want a hundred things to change. You know, if you ask, well, what do you, what do you, parents, what do you want to see changed? They might have a hundred things, a thousand things, who knows, yeah. whatever it might be. Well, uh, you know, uh, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one forkful at a time, you know, it's, so let's, let's plan small. So you pick out one or two items that you're going to connect with privileges. And this is one of the other concepts that, uh, that we talk about that, that kids have no rights. They only have privileges. They have the right, of course, as God has ordained for us as parents to, to treat them with love and respect and so forth and so on. But stuff that they have, their, their uh, record, their, their um, phone or the privilege to watch a TV program. I was talking to a parent just yesterday who said, well, we've tried to take it. We've taken everything away from them. But but and I'm, I'm trying to say, well, you want to connect the privileges to their irresponsibility and responsibility, not not so that it's them giving up the the uh, the things that are being given, not you taking it from them. Mm-hmm. So, well, mm-hmm. we don't know what else to take away from them. I said, you say he goes out even when you say don't go out. And she said, yeah, I said, take his shoes. <laughs> Tell him that his shoes, his shoes are a privilege. He doesn't have to have shoes. You know, we don't, we don't, uh, he, he can take his pants, uh, take the pants out of his room when he's out of the room, take the pants out, take the shoes out. If he's going outside, he probably won't go out in his underwear. And maybe he will. If he does, well, okay, we'll see what that brings, you know. <laughs> but, but the point is, uh, you let, you, you pick one or two items that you link privileges to. And uh, that the, showing the kids that they can get these privileges back because it's not you taking it away. It's them choosing to not have the privilege. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, I, and I repeat the parents over and over again, but also the, and the counselor can do the same. That you're going to have to you're going to have to say this over and over again because the kid's going to say, well, you're taking this away. You're doing this to me. No, you're making the decision. You're making the decision to give these things up. A lot of that is the is the the structure or is the the content of the second book which how how do you deal with an angry kid that won't communicate hmm. and uh, but it's that the linkage of those privileges to um to choices that the kids make yeah no that's good so that's why you that's why you plan small you you don't try to do everything but you pick pick a couple of items that you really want to be linked to yeah. responsible behavior and you, and you had mentioned before, because I think some people, if they just heard that portion, they might think, oh, that's behavior modification, right? That we're, yeah. uh, uh, but you are very clear in both, in both books that this ultimate lasting change is dependent on true heart change that is only brought about through the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you right. help parents um, keep that central rather than just the behavior modification I'd say, uh, and I, this is the first part of the second book, really, in a big way. The, the very first thing that a parent needs to decide is not what to do, but who to be. Mm. And, and they need to make the determination that I am here to parent to the glory of God, first and foremost. The thing that's going to motivate me is not peace in my home, because there might not be peace. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. And even dividing kids from their parents. I mean, so there may not be peace in, in, the, in the immediate sense of the term. 
Um, but you can live to the glory of God. And, and if you are making it plain that that's what's motivating you, making it plain to, the, to your young person, to your teenager, to your angry kid, uh, the reason I'm what I'm going to do, I'm taking seriously for the maybe for the first time in my life, or at least in my parenting, that what I'm going to do in parenting is motivated not by what your friends' parents think, not by what your friends think, not even by what the people at church think, but what does God want? Because his glory is what my aim is to pursue, mm -hmm. his glory and his authority. And if, if that becomes a, a, a focus of attention, that chorus will, will empower and embolden and encourage uh, uh, the parent through the tough times that he's going to have to take. And, um, and by a repetition of that, by a reminder to the kid, this is what, that's the gospel. That's, that's where the entree of the gospel and that these, these spiritual, these things are spiritually intoned and, um, and not simply moralistic kinds of things. Yeah. Plus yeah. once, once a student begins to make the changes, uh, again, the opportunity for making gospel connections becomes even richer and yeah. more plain. Well, we, we're running low on time, but and there's plenty more that could be discussed, but I just encourage our audience, if you if this has piqued your interest at all, I encourage you to check out the books by Rick Horn, uh, Get Out of My Face and Get Off of My Case, and read those. They're really helpful. And I, I love, too, that at the back of each book, you put a kind of cheat sheets that just summarize those things. That was so helpful for me as a youth pastor, like... Oh, I remember those principles, but I don't remember exactly how to do it. And just flip to the appendix back there, and you'll you'll find a great reminder cheat sheet uh, for that. Well, the I always have a segment at the end. Not always. Usually have a segment at the end called Two Minute Favorites. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Go for it. We'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite food? Onions. What is your, the favorite gift you've ever received? The reason for onions, I have to tell you, is because right. my wife is allergic to onions. I love onions. Mm. So for 51 years, I don't get onions at home. The only time I get onions is when we go out to other people's homes or to a restaurant. So that's why I said onion. <laughs> All right. Favorite gift you've ever received? Pardon me? Favorite gift I've received? Yes. A lap, a lap, uh, one of those lap desks. You know, a lap desk because I can sit in a chair and I can have my Bible, my computer. I can a variety of things. Yeah. Uh, what's the favorite gift you've ever given? That was really easy when when I saw that you were going to ask that or made re make reference to that last year for our 50th anniversary. We had planned for several years. We had planned to take all of our kids and grandkids to the Dominican Republic. Uh, they've all been, all of our kids have been there in villages working on short-term times. And, mm. and so we wanted to go back to a village, and we spent three days working in a village. They painted four houses and been in the village, in the grandkids as well. And that gave all of them an opportunity to really serve. And then we went three or four days to a, to a resort up in Punta Cana. So that was the cap as well. So giving that to everybody, flying everybody down, and, and just the whole, the whole richness of the thing was a wonderful gift. Yeah, that is a that is a great one. Uh, favorite word. Favorite word. Uh, probably, I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, maybe the word joy, hmm. or maybe enjoy the Lord as a phrase. Um, uh, in my books, I allude to the fact that one of my kids was a was a prodigal, one of my black children that we adopted, and. Uh, 
I told him a number of times in the throes of real violence. Um, I said, Jed, I know you don't intend this, but there's nobody that's taught me more about the joy of the Lord and the richness of Christ than you. Hmm. And, um, and those temptations and challenges resulted in, in, in a level of joy that comes not because I'm, I'm a respected counselor or a writer or a speaker or uh, none of those things, but it's, yeah. it's a, a relationship to the Lord. The joy of the Lord is the strength that, that God has given. Hmm. Well, thanks for sharing. And that definitely wraps up our two minute, two minute favorites, but it was a good, <laughs> good, good end of that. Well, Rick, thank you so much for being with us on 1514 today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of 1514. If you'd like to know more about the ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcounselingcoalition.org. You can also contact us at podcast at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to Carrie Felton, our podcast producer, who arranges and coordinates these interviews, and James Wills, our podcast engineer, who does the sound editing and makes these episodes sound so great. I thank you for being with us again and hope you can join us next time on 1514.